Often on Why Dance Matters, we chat to people who aren't dancers, but whose lives have been unexpectedly dance-adjacent. They're some of my favourite conversations. Listen to Goody Singh, a doctor who found that dance pulled her out of a dark place and then took root in her hospital. Or lend an ear to Jordan Thompson, who crossed America and turned his life around by studying dance and is now a lawyer helping whistleblowers expose high-level corruption. Today, we follow a career that began in the ballet studio and jetted all the way into high finance. I'm David Jays, and this is Why Dance Matters, the Royal Academy of Dance podcast. Today's guest is Raphael Ng, speaking to me from busy, bustling Singapore. You may just catch a jet zooming overhead. Raphael's parents were both committed dancers, so it isn't surprising that he too threw himself into ballet, contemporary and Chinese dance. What may be more surprising is that an attempt to manage his money as a student led to an excitement for the financial world. Raphael is now a leading fund manager. At the RAD, we talk a lot about how dance training brings you invaluable, transferable skills. But honestly, how do you move from the bar to the balance sheet with such dexterity? How does the adrenaline of performance compare to the risk of fund management? Raphael has also co-founded a school teaching RAD ballet in Singapore, so dance clearly retains a special place in his heart. And please, spare a thought for your humble podcast host, who even now may or may not be desperately googling, what is foreign exchange trading? Raphael, welcome to Why Dance Matters. And I'm really excited to hear about your leap from the world of dance into the world of finance. But first, to start with dance. Dance was part of your childhood, wasn't it? Because your parents danced. Did they do that professionally? Yes. So both my parents danced. My mom did more ballet than my dad. So actually my dad, he probably took just a few classes of ballet just to go after my mom. Uh, but, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, but subsequently, my, my dad really liked European folk dance, very specific, very niche European folk dance, and oh, wow. uh, got my mom involved in it as well. Every day after their work, they would be joining a non-profit arts group where they would just train, prepare for a subsequent performance in Hong Kong. So that's where we were from. And then they would perform and compete uh, in the different districts in Hong Kong and have lots of fun. So for you growing up, there wasn't any mystery to dance, I suppose. It was just part of your everyday family life. Yes. So to me, even though it's not a very common hobby, I would say, for young boys here in Singapore, but yeah. uh, because I know my, my dad dances, my mom dances, so to me, it's just, oh, that's very normal and along with a whole variety of other 
different hobbies that they sign me up for. So that includes ballet as well. The rest would be like fanatics, arts and craft, piano, and so on. Ballet happened to be one of the many things that they signed me up for. Oh, so they wanted you to have that full range of opportunities and experiences. Yes, they wanted me to have that full range, uh, knowing that most likely I wouldn't be able to do all of them and would drop some (laughs) of them. And uh, it turned out to be, well, it could be a fate or some kind of destiny that (laughs) the rest, uh, I lost interest in it and it was just ballet that I continued with. I read something that made me laugh when you were describing being a boy in a ballet class as an example of the laws of supply and demand because there are very few boys and so there's quite a demand for you to be a partner or to be part of things. What was it like being a dancing boy in those early dance classes? It's like uh, one is to 200 plus <laughs> actually <Wow. laughs> in the entire like dance school. At some point in time, it, it might have reached one is to 300, one is to 400. But my classmates, of course, they would like to uh, have more focus on stage, you know, from like the audience, you know, you'll be nice and all that. So, so yes, sometimes in some pieces, I might have to like partner, have to do partner there with uh, maybe two or three other like very good, very strong classmates, obviously much better than myself. But well, I'm the only guy, so supply and demand, even though I may not be very good. But I still get to do part of them with them because, well, I'm the only guy. (laughs) (laughs) Who else is there? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And what did you enjoy about it? Because you started, I think you were just four when you started. And as you say, you were doing all sorts of different activities. What was it about dance and about ballet that attracted you? Well, to be honest, I don't think I can remember like exactly when I was four or five, how it was really like. But I can vaguely remember the nice piano music accompanying it. <laughs> I, I guess I, I like that. And I get to move being a single child, a class environment where I get to interact with other kids more or less around my age to learn something new. At four to five years old, I highly doubt I would be like, oh, I really want to be a ballet dancer when I grow up. <laughs> I, I really love ballet. I, I don't think I have anything, any thoughts like that at four to five years old when I started. It was really just, oh, this seems fun. Yeah. Yeah. And you did, I mean, you were serious in that you did all your Royal Academy of Dance exams. You explored other dance forms, Chinese dance, contemporary dance. Something about performing and about moving must have been quite appealing to you. I think of it in two ways. One is to me, treat it as just like any other sport or hobby. Of course, different people view it differently, but I see it as I go out there and try to execute this technique to the best of my abilities, uh, work out a good sweat, get to interact and with the other classmates. Uh, of course, before and after class, not during class. My teacher might be hearing this. Did you ever think about making it your full-time career? Was that ever part of the plan? I wouldn't say that's something I have been actively thinking about. Most certainly, my parents would have asked me about it. My teachers would definitely love for me to have done that. I don't think I've I thought of myself being good enough to be like full-time professional ballet dancer. Some of my friends who went on to become a very good professional ballet dancer and I see that, okay, that's what it takes, that level of commitment to be able to even try to get through the auditions for some of these uh, ballet companies. And I think I should uh, look in the mirror and uh, you know <laughs> and recognize that. That would seem, uh, yeah, not very uh, uh, practical solution <laughs> yeah, yeah. for me. 
it's an interesting career, isn't it? Because if you are going to pursue it, you have to decide that quite young. You can't explore lots of other things and come back to dance on the whole. So what was the plan? Did you have a goal in mind? I think it was really later on uh, Mm -hmm. in my dance journey where I became like a bit more serious in terms of like really training myself. Back then, if I was a teenager, it was really more just going in and just having a fun time with my friends, uh, learning ballet and taking the exams and whatnot. But subsequently, I think it was around the teenage years together with some friends. Well, even in secondary school, junior college, we call it. Uh, that's subsequently as I learned Chinese dance and all that as well, where I thought, okay, yeah, we need to be serious if you want to look good on stage, if you want to execute some straddle jumps. If you don't have the right amount of flexibility, you're just, just going to look really bad. And that's mm-hmm. where I became a bit more serious in it. But I guess it was a little bit late uh, if you're thinking about like going on a professional path. So you ended up at university in Singapore, I gather partly because of a choreographer you were working with who was also working with the dance teams there, that that was part of your path into the Singapore Management University. Yes, I got to know this dance choreographer from the Singapore Management University, actually from the ballet school I was with. Since the very beginning, I danced under Miss Lina Fu. She's the principal, also the founder of Dance Point Academy, the largest dance school in Singapore. So I I believe they have about, what, 15, 17 dance schools in Singapore now. Back then, the school was quite small, and I think it was the first or second annual dance production where she got Mr. Dan Cole to kind of like choreograph an item for us. So that's where I got to meet Mr. Dan. And subsequently, he went on to be the choreographer for Singapore Management University. Well, like I mentioned, due to supply and demand, there's always a lack of uh, male dancers. <laughs> so uh, even though I had to serve my national service for two years, during that period, I had my weekends off. Mr. Dan reached out and said, you know what? We need more male dancers. Why not you join us? And back then, I, I didn't expect to be able to enter university via dance itself. Although subsequently that happened, but back then I was just like, oh, sure, why not? I have my weekends off. I, I don't mind continuing to perform and compete uh, together with a university troupe, even though I wasn't officially a university student back then. Right. And so when you did join the university, you were competing with the dance team. You were traveling through Europe. It must have been quite exciting to combine that with your studies, which, of course, were nothing to do with dance. Yes, so I was quite lucky. Back then, there was this period where the university was very, very supportive of the arts. Not that it isn't now. I don't know whether or not they are still supportive now, but I know back then that they were very generous in terms of subsidies for the arts groups. So the performances and competitions overseas were pretty generously subsidized. So the first time it was to Perth, Australia for a competition, then it was to Balzano, Italy, and then to Spain. And at the same time, this is where the pivot to your current career happens, I guess, because you started to be interested in funds simply to manage your own finances and to get the most out of that. And that became the seed that has led to your current career. Is that right? 
Yes, I was also quite lucky that I managed to study something that I was quite interested in, and which is information systems management. Because of that, and along with the fact that we did well in the dance competitions, that helped in my scholarship applications. When I got the scholarship, it was、uh, there was some part of it in cash. I wanted to well. Like you say, make my money grow for me. <laughs> so then I went around and tried to see. Oh, people like to talk about personal finance. People like to talk about investing. I had no clue what that meant at the point in time, but I knew that okay, <laughs> maybe this is one way to make this limited sum of money grow a little bit more. I went down the rabbit hole. <laughs> and the two worlds from the outside might feel very different: the world of dance and performance and ballet, and the world of finance and fund management. But are they? Are there a lot of transferable skills? Yes, I would say there are definitely transferable skills in terms of discipline. Discipline is crucial for ballet, and of course, likewise for discipline in terms of fund management, it will be. Sticking to your parameters that you've set, in terms of let's say the allocations that you have into each categories, where you can stick to it and and not let external factors、uh, affect、uh, your plan. Everyone has a plan, but it's、uh, the discipline you have to kind of stick to it. The other one, I suppose, would be really to strive for、uh, excellence. I wouldn't use the word perfection because that's Always a path to that. <laughs> so, so strive <laughs> for excellence.、Uh, every time we want to dance, we want to make sure that we look really, really good for that particular movement、uh, on stage, whichever that might be. And of course, it's also striving for excellence. Then the fun as well. We want to really try to、uh, outperform the benchmark and peers. And that really did sound like a dancer talking, because dancers, you're absolutely right. They'll say nothing is ever perfect. There's always something you could do better. But you just try to do the absolute best you can in that moment. Yes, that's right. It's interesting though, because in dance you're practicing, you're practicing, you're rehearsing, you're rehearsing, so that when you're on stage, you're prepared for whatever might happen in that moment. Is it the same for fund management? You're dealing with risk, I guess, as part of that equation. Is part of the deal that you prepare yourself for risk so that you're ready to face it? Yes. So, in terms of risk, that is kind of like the main parameter that we can control. So, no one can control returns.、Uh, if anyone says they can control returns, then、uh, you might want to be careful of that. <laughs> But what we can only control be from the risk perspective, which is why that takes a lot of discipline to stick to your guns and not, for example, take extra leverage, and that would increase the risk of your fund. For example, even though let's say. Oh, it looks like there's an opportunity to make a lot more, but the question is always at what risk. And you're now with Salesworth Asset Management. In Singapore, and your speciality is foreign exchange trading. Can we do currency trading for dummies? Because I am the dummy. <laughs> so, to explain to someone as daft as me, it's about looking at the direction of travel and exchange rates and making decisions based on that. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. For example, let's say you are in UK now, so you would use. Your sterling pound,、uh, for example, and you want to have a holiday in United States, and so that would be the 
pound dollar the GPP USD rate. So you tend to see that it tends to fluctuate. Sometimes today it might be a certain price, tomorrow it'll be another price, and we trade that difference. And then we earn and we lose accordingly to the difference, according to our strategy on how we view the movement in prices. Do you get that same kind of adrenaline rush <laughs> that you might get when you were stepping out on stage when you're in the middle of those trades, when you're looking to see whether something is going to go in your direction or not? Is it that similar level of kind of excitement? I do get that, that adrenaline rush, not because I manage the trades myself. Actually, we have a trading team that does the more uh, hands-on trading. For me, sure. I'm, I look more at the risk portion of it, number one. But number two, for myself, along with my colleagues, we actually go out and meet with different, for example, like private wealth individuals, family officers, and so on to work together. And during these meetings, during these presentations, it will really be like, uh, like, like a performance without the leotard, without the ballet shoes. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but instead, it will be uh, in, in our suits, iron suits, in our nice tire and, and whatnot, and, and give a presentation really to convey really a key message and build rapport. There's always this similar adrenaline rush in terms of this kind of performance quality. <laughs> I like that. That's really nice. All those years of performance have given you a kind of confidence that you can step into a room full of strangers and perform. Yes. So that happens quite a bit, actually. So in terms of like sharing what we do, let's say to private bankers who would then have to explain to their clients. So there'll be all these bankers who may not have as much experience or exposure in terms of currency and gold trading in terms of what we do as a fund and explain to them. So there'll be this room of obviously very seasoned, very experienced bankers and you have to explain to them what we do uh, there. I guess to some uh, might seem a bit daunting, public speaking, performance and whatnot, but probably have done it hundreds if not thousands of times previously already. Yeah. Yes, that is the lesson from dance, isn't it? It happens in the moment, but it's all the hours you've put in beforehand that make the difference. Yes, and I suppose I relish the performance. I relish the chance to be on stage. So, so that uh, helps in the role. <laughs> and you may not be dancing now, but you haven't left the dance world behind. <laughs> it has too much of a hold on you. And so you've set up a dancewear company, Supertone, and you also founded Jeté Studios dance school in Singapore, which is led by Pandling, an RAD teacher, teaches the RAD syllabus. Why was it important to you to carry on having that involvement in dance? It's something that I suppose now that I'm not really dancing ballet right now, unfortunately, my ballet teacher, Miss Lena Fu, always reminds me to go back to class. But <laughs> I, I feel that I want to still be part of the dancing and one of my I would say clients his wife is Miss Pang and so that's where I got the opportunity to start one together with her along with like some friends as well for Jeté Studios all of us who started this were slash are dancers that bring us together it's like in university we would say that oh you know we enjoy dancing together competing together and it'll be great if we were to start a dance school together so everyone says that but no one actually yeah. takes action 
So I told them, that, well, this is this is the opportunity, right? So let's just do this together and, and see where it takes us. So that's the ballet school part of things. And in a similar fashion, that also applies to Supertone, our dancewear fashion label. So one of my friends that we used to dance together back in university, she really loved some of the fabric that she had for some of her clothing. And she was thinking that, oh, it'll be great if you know we could dance in this very comfortable attire. So she's obsessed with the details, with the cutting, the uh, the colors of the leotards. And so some of our friends also just got it from her directly. And it kind of, that just grew. But up to a certain point, it was a bit tiring to be managed by one person. Imagine from the logistics to the marketing, to the business development, to everything, right? So that's where uh, we say, you know what? Let's just rebrand it, do it together and just kind of grow it and see how it goes. I really like the motto that Jeté Studios has, which is that it's it's about becoming the best dancer and the best person you can be. Do you feel that dance has made you the person you are today? Absolutely. I would say that at every stage in life, I can explain the kind of growth or the development from a dance angle. From young, starting dance and really just taking this as a kind of a weekly hobby all the way to dance in university where I managed to get my scholarships. And of course, uh, definitely a huge part of it is due to the extracurricular activities that is dance, apart from the studies. Even my first job uh, with Credit Suisse, uh, for my first job as a graduate analyst and for one of the interviews, for the whole 45 minutes, it wasn't about anything on my resume. It was about dance. So (laughs) at the bottom of my resume, I I wrote that I, I used to like, dance as well so the interviewer skipped everything that was <laughs> and just said what you dance barely tell me more uh, and we had this conversation going for 45 minutes i was a little bit confused but kind of glad that was something definitely in my field of uh, so-called expertise and managed to get through it so uh, i presume that that helped (laughs) it's the supply and demand thing again isn't it you are the only person who is supplying that particular niche interest that's crazy yeah i I suppose so especially as a male ballet dancer uh, in singapore i know you don't dance regularly now but i have seen film of you kind of casually hoisting your leg up onto a ballet bar and and doing a few quite impressive looking jumps it's still there in your body isn't it just for full disclosure uh, prior to the the filming uh, i had to brush off the dust of my uh ligaments <laughs> and legs and uh, i, I really hard secretly at home for uh, one whole week just to be able to do that so my my parents made the the, the bars and mirror at home for me uh, I, I regret not using it as much when I was younger, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm glad that it actually served uh, some utility, even at 30. Raphael, it's just been such a pleasure to hear about your journey. There's one final question, which is, why does dance matter to you? Dance matters to me because it has been a very fundamental part of my life and has played a major role as well in my professional career. So having danced ballet for over 20 years and currently now running a hedge fund, I would emphasize that it's really the discipline and also the focus that I've gotten from ballet that has translated to my work now and helped achieve uh, 
pretty decent performance in my fund currently itself. Last year, we, we did pretty well. We did about 17% for 2022, which is quite decent. And of course, apart from that, I also gotten uh, many things from dance from, of course, uh, many lifelong friends that I have, having the opportunity to compete really overseas uh, in Europe. Actually, the first time I was in Europe was for dance. And of course, even finding my life partner. So I just got married actually uh, last month. And yeah, so my congratulations. My wife, uh, used, yeah, <laughs> thank you. My wife used to dance uh, uh, ballet also through the RAD syllabus as well. And I met her through the university dance club. That's also because of dance. I got to meet my wife. Because of dance as well, I got to start two uh, companies. One is, of course, I dance wear fashion label called Supertone. And then uh, another one would be a uh, dance school, which is uh, Jetty Studios. So I would say that this has all given me like a very unique experience uh, that allowed me to uh, have all these wonderful opportunities. And it's something I will keep close to my heart and hopefully allow me to continue to contribute also to the dance scene in the many years to come as well. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rafael. I may be no more of a financial whiz than I was when I began this conversation, but I enjoyed seeing the world of fund management through Raphael's dance-trained eyes. The worlds of movement and moolah seem closer than I expected. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation, and if you've had any dance training, I'd love to hear what your transferable skills are. You can get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm at Mr. David Jays, and the RAD socials are all in our show notes. Do let us know about any other extraordinary people from outside the dance world who we should invite onto the podcast. And please do subscribe, like, and review us. Our guest today was Raphael Ng. Why Dance Matters is made by the RAD team of Neve Carey Furness and Katie Hagen. Our artwork is by Bex Glendinning. And our producer is Sarah Show Me The Money Miles. I'm David Jays. Thanks for listening. Take care. See you soon.